Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. So tonight we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. And as I think about this book in particular, um, it's one that has meant very much to me. There was a time in my life, it was between my sophomore and junior year of college, where I was looking at the issues that I was struggling with in life. And I, I was identifying myself with how the people in my life had identified me. I was living under the impression that the things that I had believed about myself because of how I was treated as a child and because of the different things that happened in my family life, I was, because of all of that, I was living under the impression that those things were true. And I knew that the things that would free me from that, those strongholds that I believed in my life was believing what the Bible said about my identity in Christ. I knew what the identity passages were, okay? I would read passages like this, Ephesians chapter one, uh, so many different verses in Romans, and I would read them and I would say, God, this doesn't mean anything to me. I, I know that you're saying this is true, but why am I not feeling a physical, spiritual impact from the truth of your word? So I said, God, I know that this is the truth that will, you will use to help free me. Will you do a work in me to personalize that truth for me? If we all get a hold of this truth, it really is something that has the power to radically change all of our lives and to live the, the Christian life that we know that God promises for us in his word. So as we read God's word here tonight, and as I explain some things that are found in the book of Ephesians, um, take heed to what the Spirit says. Um, and I promise you that the truth of God's word can change and it will change your life. I'm a testimony of what it can do. Um, so if we could all stand for the reading of God's word, reading uh, the book of Ephesians chapter number one, we are going to read the whole chapter, although the emphasis of the message will be starting in verse number 15 to the end. Before I get going too far, I want to say, uh, I, I assume probably most of you heard the Sunday or two before that I had a bone marrow transplant, cancer, things like that. And as a result of that, I get a really dry mouth. So I'll have to take drinks of water and things like that occasionally. So just bear with me in that. So uh, the book of Ephesians chapter number one and verse number one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from Jesus Christ, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, 
wherein he hath abounded toward us all wisdom and prudence, making known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore, I also, note that word wherefore, after I heard the word, heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the, the, riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him to be at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for giving us your word. And I think of the passage uh, that talks about the washing of the water by the word, Lord. Um, so often in this life, we've picked up so much grease and so much grime and so many things that make us dirty, Lord. And we need you to cleanse us by the washing of the word here today, Lord. I don't know the hearts of the people. I don't know what everybody here has gone through, is going through, will be going through, Lord, but you do. And you know that uh, your word contains the truth that is uh, able to free them, Lord. So I pray that you would equip your church today to go forward in this generation, in this world, to do the work that you've called us all to do, Lord. Would you free us from the things that bind us, that prevent us from, that prevent us from completing the Great Commission, Lord, that prevent us from speaking the gospel in our area to the people that we come in contact with today. Lord, we need your help. We need your help to bring the gospel to a lost and dying world. Lord, you love them, and you came to the cross for them, and you died for them. And you've entrusted us with the ministry of reconciliation, Lord. And you've given me the small part to preach your word to these people, that they would be equipped to do that work. So God, we're calling you to do what only you can do, to equip weak and feeble people to do a God-sized work. But, Lord, you've given us yourself, and because we have you, we can do it, Lord. Would you help us to believe, Lord? You said, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Lord, would you impart faith on your people here today? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So beginning in verse number 15. 
the Apostle Paul says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you always in your prayers. So the first thing that we see about this verse is that uh, he's praying a remembering prayer. I ask you to take note of that first word, wherefore. That word, it's a reflection upon everything that came before. In the preceding verses in the chapter, Paul is making uh, us aware of what Christ has done for us in him. If you look at verse number four, it says uh, that God has chosen us to be holy and, and blameless. Verse number five, predestinating us unto the adoption as rightful heirs to heaven's riches. Uh, continuing on, what God has done for us is making us unconditionally accepted in Christ. He has redeemed us from the slave market of sin and given us forgiveness of sins. He's abounded toward us all wisdom and prudence, verse 8. Verse 9, making known unto us the mystery of his will. He's given us a heavenly inheritance, verse 11. Being in part of, he's made us part of his sovereign plan. He's made us instruments worthy of praising God. And he's given us the Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance. The thing that I want you to realize is that these are spiritual facts that are true about all believers. There's not some, maybe, that are chosen to be uh, more special believers. We all have the same things in Christ. From the youngest saint to the oldest saint who knows the most about the Bible, we have access to the same things in Christ. What will free us from uh, the things that bind us is recognizing that what is true of us is what God says about us. When we look at ourselves, we can become discouraged. But when we look at what God has, says about our, has said about us, then that frees us to go forward in faith knowing who God has made us to be so that we can accomplish his will. And, and the great thing about all of this is it's all based on what Christ has done for us. None of it is based upon what we have done. It's all based on Christ. The good news in that is when you're living life in sin, when you're, when you're struggling hard against something, God doesn't accept you any less. God accepts you just as much. It's called performance acceptance, or it's called acceptance performance, not performance acceptance. I'll repeat that again. The way that God looks at us is a way of acceptance performance. Because we've been accepted in the beloved, because of what Christ has done for us, we can therefore perform. The way that we're hardwired from birth is performance acceptance. We do well for other people. We get praise of men, even from the time that we're little kids. Our parents, when we do something good, they will come and they say, oh, honey, I love you, things like that. And that hardwires within us a performance acceptance mentality. But God is trying to free us from that performance acceptance, realizing that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's happened to you, you are the same in Christ. God has given you so many different things that you can just be freed from in looking into his word when we see what he says about us. When it comes to uh, how we pray about people, or for people, or for ourselves, Paul is making his prayer based on what is true of the believers. And when it comes to our prayers, that's the same thing that we need to do. We need to make our prayers based upon what is true about them in the Word of God. I want to point out as well that uh, this truth that God has given to us as believers is available to everybody. The people that you pass in the marketplace, your neighbors, the people that you go to work with, all of these people that are not saved, God wants to pour out the riches of his inheritance on them, but he's entrusted you to share it with them. 
And is that something that you make a concerted effort in your prayer life, for one, but also in your daily life? And I want to emphasize the fact that evangelism is a, it's spiritual. Okay? It's not something that in our own strength, being unprayed, can go in and see any fruit born in our lives. The most important thing to God okay, is souls being saved. And if when we get alone with God in prayer, God takes that burden when we actually are thinking on the mission that God has given us. He takes his mission that he came down to earth to die for these people, to die for you and to die for me, to die for the people around us. He takes the burden that he had that drove him to the cross and he implants it into you. When you love what Christ loves, you do what Christ did. You will sacrifice yourself for these people. You'll lay yourself on the line to give them the gospel. And then since all these things that are true about us, uh, we think of how God has made us accepted in the beloved. He's made us holy. He's forgiven us of our sins. He's redeemed us from the slave market of sin. That idea of redemption is when there, there's a, a slave who has been bought back. Formerly, we were under an old master, an old hard slave driver who drove us hard with our sin. But God has bought us back from that slave market. He's bought us, and now we're his sons. We've been, we've been, we have a, a, where is the verse? Predestinating us unto the adoption of children. It, he's adopted us as a child. So we went from the former slave market of sin. By the redemption, we've become a child of God through the adoption. And my question for you is, do you live like that all the time? Do you live the holy life that, on the inside, you are perfect, you are pure, you are holy? And that's God's desire for your exterior as well. He doesn't want you to be living in sin. The entertainment choices that you make, the music choices, the media choices, the language that you use, the time that you spend, the pursuits in life that you have, are these all reflective of the interior change that God has done for you? So now that we've seen the groundwork that Paul is laying for his prayer, let's go on and let's look at the different features of that prayer. We see that it was a reasonable request. In verse 18a, it says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Now, I'm just curious here. Uh, how many people like, Greek, or like uh, grammar? I'm sorry. Who likes grammar? Are there any grammar nuts in the room? Okay. I'm so thankful for you people. I'm, I'm one of those people, too. It makes me feel a little bit less alone. Now, uh, I'm sure you all know this, but the Bible was written in the Greek language. And one thing that's unique about the Greek language is it has different tenses. In English, we have past, present, and future. Those are the three basic tenses, and they all relate to time. Greek tenses are a little bit different. The, the Greek tense for um, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, the being enlightened part is a verb. That's a past, or that's a perfect tense verb. So what a perfect tense verb indicates is it indicates a past completed action with ongoing significance in the future. One of the most common uh, verbs that we know about this tense from is the word tetelestai, when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. He said, what he meant in that when he said tetelestai, it is finished, is the work that he did there on the cross, it happened at an instant in time, and it has ongoing results up till now, up till the future, until Christ comes again. So the point is, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. It's something that happened already to the believers at Ephesus. And it happened by virtue of their salvation. So if you're here and you're saved tonight, the fact of it is, is God has already opened your eyes so that you can understand this. 
So you're not trying to uh, strive for something that you don't have already. God has already done the work in you for you to understand this. It's, it's possible. The other thing that I want to point out is the, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That word understanding, the word in Greek is cardia. Uh, do we know what cardiac arrest is? Can someone raise their hand and tell me what cardiac arrest is? It's a heart attack. So cardia, cardiac comes from the word uh, cardia, which means heart. So Paul is saying what God is telling us through the Apostle Paul is the eyes of your heart have been opened. So many times, I mean, I know so many people like this, and, the, and these are even things that I fall into at times too. I can seek to understand the truth of the word of God through the intellect. But what God is telling us is the way that you're going to understand this truth is not by figuring out the deep things of God. The way that you're going to understand this truth is by God speaking the truth to your heart and you accept it by faith. It's not this, you've got to figure, you've got to look at all the verses and figure out how they're all working together and know that even reading it and wonders, okay, so God says that. How did he do that? If it's true, then there must be a reason why. That's not your job. Your job is to read the word of God, to see what God has said, and to accept it by faith. By grace we're saved through faith and we walk the same way. As ye have received the Lord Jesus, so walk ye in him. The way that we live the Christian life, the way that we understand the truth of the word of God, is by grace through faith. By grace meaning it's all of what God has done in spite of what you deserve. When we look at ourselves, when we look at our own works, we deserve hell, we deserve separation from God. But God in his mercy has made a way for us to be accepted in him to, uh, when we just simply believe in what God has done for us, then God will uh, illumine the truth to us. It's, it's a simple choice of faith. It's recognizing I'm, it's impossible for me to understand this truth, but realizing that God has already done the work in me that is necessary for me to understand this and just accept the truth by faith and ask God to speak the truth to your heart. It's not just a dead wooden looking at the words. It's the Holy Spirit taking the truth of the word of God, illuminating it to your heart, and making it real and personal for you. If you ask God to do it, he will. Don't you think that God, if he's put it in his word, is going to want you to understand it? He's not holding truth back from you. If you get desperate before God and you say, God, I don't know all that there is to this stuff, okay? But I believe if I ask anything according to your will, you will do it. And God, since you wrote it in your word, it's your desire for me to understand the truth of the word of God. God, will you help me to understand the truth contained in, this, in these passages, in the whole Bible? It's God's will for you to know his word. And if you ask him, believe it by faith, I promise you he will do it. God's not trying to hold anything back from you. And recognize it's not by the intellect. You're not going to understand what God has said by figuring out the little bitty intricacies. You're going to understand it through the lens of your heart because God has already opened up those eyes to enable you to see the truth of the word of God. So now that we see that, that the truth that um, Paul is going to pray for them to understand, God's already done the work there for them. What then does God want us... Uh, pardon me. What exactly is... Paul praying for? What are the, re the reasons for the request? Okay? God is, he's making a request. What is, or I'm sorry, Paul is making a request. What is Paul praying for? So we see uh, in verse 18b as we continue. So he says, he's praying this way, the eyes of her heart already being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling 
and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So the first thing we, we see is that Paul is praying that we, that the, Ephesians, the Ephesian Christians, would know what the hope of their calling is. Now, there, there's two elements to what this hope is, okay? There's an eternal hope, and there's a temporal hope. Temporal meaning just what we experience here today, um, on the daily basis in this earth that we're living where we see things and do stuff, right? Charles Spurgeon described these two different types of hope, the eternal hope and the temporal hope, as you have a, a bag of money to spend now, and you have eternal riches in the bank when you get there. So the two kinds of hope that God has given us. First is the temporal hope. Um, consider all that Christ has done for us now. He's our good shepherd, does he not? I think of my own experiences that I've gone through in life, and especially, um, we'll take the instance of going through cancer, right? If I went through that alone, that would have been very difficult. But I had God's guiding, staying, comforting hand leading me and guiding me through it. Yeah, amen, yes. And, and that's the same thing, that's the same hope that you have in Christ now. There was a time in my life where I was strung out on drugs, just had no idea what was going on, and I was hurting on the inside. I was looking for a shepherd. I was looking for, for escape. I was looking for help, and I was looking for healing. I was looking for hope, and I didn't find it in the world. But the hope of his calling, it's all that God has already done for you. It's what God has given to you by giving him himself to you. That's the hope of our calling right now. But then, of course, there's the eternal aspect of this hope. The eternal aspect, of course, is uh, what we get when we die, right? So for the Christian, death is not the end. Death is like, it's the victory. Thanks be to God, which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It comes after death. He's given us uh, eternal life. He's given us escape from the judgment. He has given us forgiveness of sins, and he's promised us a new glorified resurrected body. I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty excited for that. There's things wrong with this one, and I can't wait till I don't have to deal with that in heaven anymore. And the things that we deal with in life now, they're not going to be there. That's the eternal hope that God has given us. And finally, he's given us uh, the hope of his coming to earth again. There's coming a day when God will come, Jesus Christ will come back to this earth, and he will judge all the, the sin and everything that bothers the living daylights out of us now. When we look at the political arena now, we think, like, how are they doing the things that they are doing? When we look at, I was out soul winning yesterday, and the gay pride things that are, people are riding in their, their uh, in chalk on their driveways and all kinds of stuff. The sin that is out there is absolutely blatant that people don't care anymore. There's coming a day where God's going to get sick of it. And he's going to come back and he's going to judge by unrighteousness and judge all of the sin. But he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's in the context of the returning of Christ. So what does that mean for us? It means do the work now. Don't just sit, sit back and wait. Okay, Lord, it's getting really bad out there. We're going to wait till you come back. God's not willing that any should perish. He's not slack concerning his promise. His promise of coming back, but is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And if you're not going out and doing the ministry of reconciliation, there won't be people in heaven as a result of 
what you have done. I was talking with Jonathan in the room yesterday, and I told him, you know, if there was weeping and gnashing of teeth up here now by saints who are getting desperate for our absolute dereliction in completing the Great Commission, God has given us everything we need now, and what are we doing with it? If we would fast and pray, weep and gnash our teeth, say, God, you've given us this commission, and we've been complete failures at it. But Lord, will you please enable me to do what I'm not doing, what I want to do, what my heart is there to do the Great Commission, to do what you've called me to do, and we're failing. Lord, will you help us? Will you pour your spirit out? It's not a work of ourselves. It's what God has done through his spirit. If we would just get a hold of the spirit of God, God would enable us to go out and to complete the Great Commission. It's possible today. Will you just get on your faces and pray before God, ask him to pour out his spirit, and he promises to do it. Can we get an amen? He's given everything that we need. That eternal hope is not just for us. It's for the other people. God went to the cross for it. And will you be as serious as Jesus Christ was for the Great Commission? If you will, God promises that he will that he'll help. He'll do the work that he's called you to do. Verse number 19. We also see that uh, Paul is praying that they would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. I'm sorry, I'm getting mixed up here. I do this sometimes. That you may know what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Okay, now we're on track. So, I, I did not understand this. I read it wrong all the way up until last night around 9 o'clock. When I, every time from the time I was reading my Bible until last night, I always read that verse saying, the, the riches of our inheritance in the saints. Okay? But God is saying that you, that you, that you, that we, okay, that we are his riches of glory in, in his inheritance. Okay? By virtue of God being creator of everything, okay, God would be the one who, it would make sense that he's the owner of it all, right? But somehow, God has made us his inheritance. And what kind of inheritance does God say that he has in the saints, in you and in me? He calls it the riches. Uh, let me find the verse. Let's see. Yeah, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? I don't care what anybody has told you in life. There's people, there's the fact of the matter is, is we've, we've all had people in our lives that have done us wrong. They have told us things that make us feel worthless, that make us feel like we can't do anything right. It, maybe it's a father that we can never please. Maybe it was a perfectionistic mother who we could just never do things well enough. And we go later in life and we have this feeling of condemnation upon us. Like we'll never please anybody, we'll never do anything right, and we're worthless and, and it doesn't mean anything. I'm worthless. But God is calling you the riches of his glory is in his inheritance in the saints. You are the crown jewel of God's inheritance. God loved you so much, and you'll be the only riches in heaven that God spent the life of his own son to purchase. That's how precious you are to God. You are the most valuable thing that will be there in heaven next to God himself. 
with the riches, the, the most prized possession that God will have. Charles Spurgeon says of, uh, of this verse that, but how can God make riches out of poor men and women? They are believers in Jesus, but what is there in them that he counts to be riches? Riches of glory, too. We answer first, he has spent great riches of love upon them, for he loves them, poor and needy as they are, and sick and sorry as they often are. He loved them from before the foundation of the world, and you know how precious a thing becomes when you love it. God has loved his people so long, so intensely, with such an unbounding love, that there is a wealth in them to his heart. Oh, that we would know something of the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, as measured by the gauge of his love. I don't have words to describe what God has done. He's valuable. You're valuable to him. God matter. You matter to God. The third thing that Paul is praying for us to understand is that we may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power in us. Verse number 19 to verse 23, it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? And here's how that power is described. According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and has set him, him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and dominion and might, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also that which is to come. That's the power that works in you. The same power that works in you because the Holy Spirit dwells in you is available to you. It's the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, to set him at his own right hand, and has set him far above all principalities and powers, made him the head of the church. That's the power in you. God's very resurrection power is in you. There's nothing in life that God has called you to do that you are not capable of doing. But it's not because of you. It's all because of God's power in you. Until we realize how utterly incapable we are of doing God's will, we will never be able to experience this power that God is offering to us. Again, I bring the verse Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. By grace are you saved through faith. When a person gets saved, they have to realize the conditions for being saved. It's by being saved by grace, by recognizing how utterly incapable you are of reconciling yourself to God by your own works and putting your faith in what God has already done for you. That's the simple way that we're saved. And that's the simple way when we recognize, until we recognize what grace is, how what God has done for us, even though we can't earn it, we can't deserve it, we can't do by our own power and by our own might the things that God has called us to do. And when we realize our absolute bankruptcy in accomplishing what God has called us to do, and we put our faith in Jesus to enable us to do it, that's when we then become able to do it. And here's, here's honestly the good part about it. Okay, we're back. Here's the good part about it, okay? Going through that process where, okay, you're doing your best to live by the grace of God, and you find the futility in that. That futility is not a bad thing. That futility is a good thing. But don't grow weary in well-doing. Just because you become discouraged, because honestly, there are areas in all of our lives where we're self-dependent. And what God is trying to do in all of our lives, he's just trying to uh, 
take that self-dependence. He's trying to empty us of that self-dependence and make us more dependent on him. And it's in that process, it's in that trial of faith that we get to know our God. And, and those are the, honestly, those are the things that we should all live for. Knowing our God through the difficulties in life. When things get tough, don't throw up your hands and say, all right, God, forget this. I don't trust you anymore. There is not a single time that God has ever let you down. And God is there to help you. When, and he's there to bring you along that journey when you're honestly living in self-dependence and not realizing it. And he wants to bring you through to living that spirit-filled life that he's promised you. But keep pressing on in the journey. As Paul continues to tell us about this power that is working in us, he describes what Christ has done, where Christ's authority is. It says, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So that those words there, principality and power and dominion and might, that refers to evil spiritual forces. Okay, So Jesus Christ is far above all of those evil spiritual forces, right? So what's the practical application? It doesn't just mean that Jesus was able to cast out demons when he was here on earth. That is why he was able to do that, because he has power over them. But the practical application for you and me now today is because Christ is far above all principalities and powers, and we're in Christ, that means we can wage spiritual warfare because of our position in Christ. One of the ways that the enemy works, okay, is he'll, sometimes we can be in life and we can have uh, discouragements whisper in our heads, right? And it can be like a thought that comes out of nowhere, that, that wasn't originated in you. And it's the devil accusing you. He's the accuser of the brethren, reminding you of sin that you've committed in the past and saying, this is who you are. But what we need to do in those moments is we need to say, no. God, I'm not going to yield to the devil. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Reckon the fact that you're in Christ, and he is far above all principalities and powers. Say, Lord, I have no power in and of myself, but you're far above all those evil forces that are whispering evil things into my, my head. And because I'm in you, and you're above those, by your authority and by your power, they have to flee. And when we trust in God to do those things, when we're looking to him, in his position above those evil forces, they have to flee. That's what God says. And it, this doesn't just um, apply to our personal lives, but it also applies to our church lives. In Matthew 16, 18, he says, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus, his supreme authority over dark spiritual, spiritual forces, is exercised to the church. God promised that the gates of hell would not come against the church, that the church would prevail against those evil spiritual forces. And he's given the church the responsibility, the stewardship, to work that spiritual authority out that God has over them. When we're going and when we're seeking to expand our churches, when we're seeking to bring the gospel to other people, when we're seeking to change the culture through the gospel, there are spiritual forces that are resisting that. But because God is far above all those principalities and powers, we can pray in the name of Jesus' authority that those forces have to come down and the church will prevail. 
So in conclusion, look at what God has given to you. He's given you a new identity in him. He has given you a heart that has already been opened to be able to understand the spiritual truth of God. He has given you, he's called you his crowning jewel of his inheritance. He has given you his own resurrection and ascension power to have victory over sin and victory in spiritual warfare. The question is, is what are you going to do with it? God has given you the responsibility to take all that God has given you and to do what God has called you to do. Are you going to be wise with that stewardship? If you take and you invest what God has given you, he will give you more. Sometimes people get discouraged in their Christian lives because God gives them truth, and they don't really take much of a step with it. But the more that we invest in the truth that God has given us, the more truth God will continue to give us. And it's through that way that we'll be able to accomplish the Great Commission to do what God has called us to do. And it's more than just the Great Commission. It's, we have family lives and all of that stuff where we need to see God's power through us so that things can be overcome that God's trying to change in us and the, and the people around us. And if we just trust in him to do it, he will. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.